You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll talk about gender visionaries who were part of a thriving scene in San Francisco in the late 90s and where they are today. So many things take place online in any case. So we're meeting on Facebook now where we can have arguments and <laughs> or or just hang out together, you know, or exchange ideas. So uh I think things are going on, but it's not so much concentrated in San Francisco anymore. San Francisco may have symbolic values still, but it's no longer, it's not actually the epicenter, even though people may think of it that way. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Before we get started... At the Public Press, which is Civic's parent organization, we've been working really hard during this pandemic to pursue angles we're not seeing much coverage of elsewhere, or to take a more systemic look at the issues that are surfacing in the headlines. The San Francisco Public Press is a nonprofit, and we're inspired by the public radio model. That's the idea that people who are able to support the work that we do so everyone can have access to it without paywalls or ads. If you think we're onto something, we'd very much appreciate if you could show your support. You can do that by going to sfpublicpress.org slash donate or by helping us get the word out about this show. Subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use or leave us a review. It really does help. So thanks. More than 20 years ago, a filmmaker documented the lives of a group of people exploring gender and what it means to be transgender. It was called Gender Knots. At this year's Frameline Film Festival, a new documentary, Genderation, follows up with these same protagonists to see how the shifting social scenes, political climate, and individual circumstances of their lives have affected them. And as we'll hear about, those things have all played a role, but another hugely impactful thing in their lives is simply growing older. Genderation screens in person and only in person on Sunday, June 20th at the Roxy Theatre. I talked with a filmmaker of Genderation and one of its protagonists. My name is Monika Treut. I'm a German filmmaker. And uh, my latest film is Genderation, which plays at the uh, Frameline Film Festival. And I love San Francisco. I've been there many times. And I even shot another film there named Gender Nords, another documentary film. And also a uh, fiction film named Virgin Machine many, many years ago. And they all played at the Frameline Film Festival. And my name is Max wolf I am uh, I am featured in Generation as well as in Gender Knots. And I was in an earlier movie of Monica's uh, called Female Misbehavior. And uh, my portion was called Max. And that came out, I believe, uh, we shot that in 91 and came out in 93. It was at the Roxy, actually, just like this one. And, uh, yeah, so this is, um, it's special to be at the Roxy again. I'm also a poet, which means I'm dirt poor and I can't live in San Francisco anymore. But we have hope. We have hope uh, as the rents are are plummeting. Yes, I I am hopeful. (laughs) Maybe we could start with a bit of a discussion of um, how gender knots relates to generation. Um, This looks to be an update on the lives of the folks who you documented in gender knots. Yes? Yes, absolutely. Um, And we shot it more than 20 years later. Um, And I got the idea because um, gender knots has become a little classic and it's still shown 
around the world and I had the um I was so lucky I could be there for quite a few sessions of Q&A after the film uh and so lots of people asked actually how are these folks doing today what's happening mm-hmm. you know and so I I thought I should do an update and what was gender knots about for people who aren't familiar well gender knots um Uh, captured an interesting time in the um, mid and late 90s in San Francisco when um, there was a very lively queer and trans scene which was pretty much uh, still in the beginning stages and it was a time when people were experimenting quite a bit with gender identities. Uh, It was a lot of Uh, androgynous people. It was a lot of trying out um, to be more female or to be more male. And people were on uh, different journeys into different gender identities. And there was also a very, it was also a very creative time. There was something called Club Confidential, a beautiful meeting place um, where a lot of very different people came together. And it reminded me of um, Berlin in the 20s. Mm. Susan Stryker, one of the people, one of the protagonists of your films, she talks about her body being fully hers, that she doesn't rent it, she doesn't pay a damage deposit, it is hers, she lives there. And I'm wondering if that sort of sense of ownership and control resonates with you, I guess this is a question for you specifically, Max, or if you feel differently about your body and, and exercising ownership of it. Well, yeah, definitely. I uh, I have that feeling. It's mine. It's mine to do with as I will. I definitely think she was right on when she said that. So I, I, I agree with her there, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. She also calls the gender scene in the 90s in San Francisco hot, hot, hot. And I think this is a, you know, a little bit of an allusion to Monica, what you were just talking about. And I'm kind of wondering, is it is it not now? <laughs> Well, it's different now, I'd say. As we all know, our social lives have changed quite a bit through uh, social media. And especially in San Francisco, gentrification is pretty rampant. And so a lot of places have gone. They have disappeared. For example, this beautiful bar where uh, they had uh, Club Confidential is gone. And a lot of other places mm. we really loved and we met and we could, you know, see each other easily uh, have disappeared. Yeah, I'm missing out on a lot of places and I'm missing out easily meeting uh, my friends when I come to San Francisco. And people are very busy. Life has become so expensive. People do, uh, they work much more than they used to to do. People were hanging out more. It was easy to just say, hey, let's spend the afternoon together. Let's go to the beach. Those times are gone. I think a lot of yeah. things take place online now. And and what Monica says is true. I mean, things have totally changed in terms of so many of the people in the movie originally aren't there anymore. A few of us are. You know, so but so many things take place online in any case. So we're meeting on Facebook now where we can have arguments and or or just hang out together, you know, or exchange ideas. So uh, I think things are going on, but it's not so much concentrated in San Francisco anymore. Mm. 
San Francisco may have symbolic values still, but it's no longer, it's not actually the epicenter, even though people may think of it that way. Uh, yeah, Max, I was wondering if you could maybe talk a bit more about that and the role that San Francisco played, because I, I think the rising cost really has affected a lot of the protagonists of, of generation. And, and I, I'm hoping you could speak to the way that San Francisco played a role in, in their lives, in your life, as people were coming to better understand their identities. Um, and you were actually pushed out by the cost of living. So what did it mean to live in San Francisco and what does it mean to be displaced? Well, when I started my transition, I started 32 years ago in 1989 is when I began testosterone. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a long time. At the time, things were totally different. And San Francisco was one of the only places where a person could access information, especially if you're going female to male, as I have. I was born biologically female. Uh, I've transitioned to male uh, through the use of uh, testosterone and uh, surgery. And uh, of course, it's a series of legal uh, changes to my name and everything else that take takes place over a, a period of time. Um, in any case, um, yeah, so this was back in the 80s. I would go to a group put together by this guy named Lou Sullivan, who uh, he's kind of well, he's kind of famous now posthumously. Uh, he actually changed the, uh, the requirements for uh, whether or not uh, for the Stanford, I believe it was the Stanford Clinic. Um, in any way, in any case, he changed it. In the DSM, it ended up changing so that a person could be gay after transition because this wasn't. Uh, he was refused hormone treatment in the eighties huh. because because he said, "I want to be a gay man." Um, wow. Yeah. So San Francisco is really an episode. You know, it was a place where I think people have always gone for, to be free and to try uh, new innovative things. And it's always had that reputation. But in any case, there was, you know, Lou came to San Francisco to be a gay man. He was a straight woman. He came to be a gay man in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And he founded a group called FTM and a newsletter called FTM that came out four times a year, if you can believe that. And, uh, you know, it was a little mimeograph newsletter and that was it. And there was a little handbook. And, uh, but we could meet in person, uh, which we did at different restaurants just four times a year. And it was a very tightly knit little group. And uh, so that's where it all started. And Monica actually captured some of that really, that beginning in the Max movie, which I would recommend people watch as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Monica, did you want to add to that? Um, San Francisco as a character, as a backdrop? Absolutely. Um, San Francisco, especially for me as, um, you know, a European, a German, San Francisco was um, for me like, yeah, paradise, you know. I mean, in, I came to San Francisco first time in the mid-80s, 1985. I showed my first film at Frameline. And uh, Germany was very dark and very stern and uh, spartanic in terms of a queer movement. It was still very politically correct. Um, it was here were the lesbians, there were the gay men, and the feminists hadn't really lived up to uh, anything queer. Um, so coming to San Francisco was breathing fresh air. 
you know, be to be inspired by so many different forms of existence and freedom and experimentation. So this uh, spirit um, was, I think, very lively until, let's say, the early 2000s in, in my uh, experience. I think it really kind of changed tremendously when the Silicon Valley people invaded San Francisco and a lot of freewheeling hippie types and people who were just um, artist types um, couldn't afford to live there anymore. So the character of the city uh, changed bit by bit. I want to go back to something that you said earlier, Max, about kind of the conversation about gender happening elsewhere. It's not just concentrated in one place anymore. And uh, a lot of us living on social media and connecting with people through social media. And and Stafford, one of the other protagonists in these films, says something interesting about how he educates people. He makes friends with people who don't know that he's trans. And once they know him really well and they've started talking about him like, oh, you're just the best, he tells them he's trans and they're shocked. And he calls this being the ambassador of trans. Isn't there substantial risk involved in this? I mean, what what does it mean to be educating people as a trans person, as a gender nonconforming person now and under these circumstances? Uh, you know what? I, I have a pretty easy time of it, I got to say. I don't always tell people uh, that's the truth because it, it's been 32 years and it's not the most important thing in my life anymore. It's not at the tip of my tongue. It's not that exciting anymore. It used to be just like so exciting. Whereas now it's like, oh my God, I have to, you know, read a, an article about so-and-so. What's the new one? Elliot Page. Uh, <laughs> I think I've read one paragraph. I mean, the truth is it's, you know, it becomes your life. And for me, it's, I'm, I'm a guy and I live my life that way, but I am different and, uh, you know, that makes me have many different dimensions, which I, I also appreciate. In any case, uh, for example, I came out to my roommate here. I'm a student at CU now, at CU Boulder. And I went back to finish the degree that I started in the 70s before I went to San Francisco. In any case, uh, I've got a couple of young roommates. They had no idea. It's two guys, really nice guys. I came out to him the other day, or I disclosed. The, I, the, the, the word trans people generally like to use is disclose because it's different from coming out. But in any case, um, you know, people with me, it's generally that I'm a writer and a poet. And so people want to know, what did you what do you, you know, what was, what are your books about? And I have a book that's a memoir of my transition. And I also have a book, uh, The Criminal, uh, The Invisibility of Parallel Forces, which has nothing to do with trans things, but it's under transgender uh, poetry and mm. indigenous uh, studies. So, you know, um, it, I can't really talk about my writing a lot unless, well, my published writing, unless I, I bring that up. So I, I came out and people are, you know, I think they're, they're really open and uh, if it, it depends on how you present yourself. If you present yourself from a confident place, from a, a place where you have well-being and, and you feel grounded in yourself, I think that uh, – and with a sense of humor and you're not like about to jump on them for saying the wrong thing, <laughs> you know, then – and they can ask a few questions even if they're stupid questions. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think people are, are okay. And a lot of people actually don't care that much. It's not their life, but they are shocked. They're all shocked, just like with Stafford. There's always, oh my God, are you kidding me? 
Huh. What do you think that's about? Well, I look like I sound, which I think the listeners can can hear. I sound like a man. You know, I I look like a man. Um, I it you can't really detect it. You can't uh, for uh, trans men. It's very difficult to detect uh, that we were born female, especially after we've been on testosterone like five, six, seven years. It takes a while. But it's difficult to detect. Even I can't tell. I can't tell for sure. I suspect. I see people in, at the university where I suspect, but I honestly can't tell for sure. So um, we're very lucky that way. And it's easier to be a smaller man than a taller woman in general. That's a, a social, a social huh. construct. But I think that's generally true. Stafford and I are both lucky that we're a little taller, but even so. I don't think that yeah. really matters. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking with Monica Treut and Maxwell Falerio about Genderation, the documentary that follows up with the protagonists of an earlier film, Gender Knots, more than 20 years later. Monica, did you want to jump in and add to this and, and about the, you know, the way that the conversation about and people's questions about and attitudes toward transgender folks have changed over time? Yeah, I think when Stafford doesn't really jump into people's faces and say, hey, I'm trans. So when he kind of hides it first, he, I mean, his environment is also, it's a lot of artists um, he's surrounded by. So because you were asking before whether it can be dangerous as well to, yeah. to show yourself. But um, I think the environment uh, Stafford is traveling in is um, relatively safe. Um, though I would say the attitude towards trans people has changed for the better within the last 20, 25 years. It was more that something Susan Stryker also talks about, that she, she was stigmatized as an academic in the 90s, um, so she couldn't find employment at the universities. And so um, slowly but surely it has become more accepted, not necessarily by mainstream society or by right-wing people or with evangelical people, but I think the, the average kind of liberal person um, accepts it by now because there's so much material out as well. There's movies, out, mainstream movies, uh, there is a television series talking about the phenomenon. Um, so it has really come into people's consciousness as nothing which is frightening anymore, which is more like, oh, that's interesting. So-and-so is doing a transition. And, and I have to say, I'll just interject this real quick. Um, I have met evangelicals who are accepting, right? Mm. And right-wing type people who are very accepting. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is, well, people are people. And uh, if you, again, if you present yourself, I don't know, what can I say? People are more open-minded maybe than we give them credit for. But um, also sometimes people who are slightly on the right don't have an agenda, which is kind of an interesting thing to say, but they're not trying to fit me into any kind of movement or any mm -hmm. kind of political agenda. And so they don't have a lot of expectations about how I should be. Whereas I find that sometimes people who are more far left have more expectations, and frankly, I fall short. 
because I'm I'm very if you you know I'm a guy I'm a man I'm straight heterosexual I don't know how straight I am but I'm heterosexual so you know I sometimes feel like they're a little bit like on a disapproving of me which hmm. is ironic yeah it's kind of funny well actually if I might add to this um, in Germany there is a big agenda with the um, right wing party. The uh, new Nazi party we're having here because um, one of their central points of their whole party agenda is the Holy Family. So they really want to go back to um, biological mother and biological father and children. And everything which is uh, touching on this order is for them something they have to fight against. Um, so it's uh, strange, strangely enough, it's uh, one of the cores of their party's agenda. Um, they're, they're calling it um, the gender craziness. They say people who are born female should die female and so on and so on. So it's a big, you know, when you see we are having uh, an election um, shortly, and so they have all their posters, their election posters are full with we are against gender craziness, back to the normal family mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I do see that, yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, there's that. There is there's that on the right. I don't mean to interrupt, Laura. No, no, I, I want to get out of your way, mostly. Well, you know, I do see that. Um, there's elements of that here, of course. Um, but what I think maybe the difference is, well, it, this gets so complicated, right? At least, you know, and I can only speak from an American perspective. But um, at least here, there's always uh, with conservatives or more libertarian type classic liberals, let's say. Um, not necessarily always social conservatives. There is the idea of the pursuit of happiness. And if that's what makes you happy, you know, that's what you should do. And, you know, you're courageous to follow your path, to become yourself, which is, of course, traditionally what we think of as part of the American dream. Um, so I think it plugs into that for some people who are right of center, who are, cla again, classic liberals. But yes, there's also a crisis right now in general around gender and people are, you know, you also have it coming from the left with the trans exclusionary radical feminists um, mm -hmm. who are very much uh, getting together with people on the right, the socially conservative right and the right in general and uh, pushing against, pushing uh, back on uh on trans people. So it gets complicated. The whole thing, I mean, is just very, very complex. But I do think in general, things have gotten better. And people are slightly more sophisticated, although they're also very confused. You know, I think <laughs> people are, have always been confused by this. And in some ways, maybe they're more confused than ever, but they let they're not necessarily as judgmental as they used to be. It's so interesting how it plays out on a societal versus individual level. I mean, at the same time, as as generally there's progress toward being more understanding and accepting, there's, you know, bathroom bills and excluding young people from playing sports on the teams that conform to their gender identity and every, you know, just laws that are making it more difficult to exist as a trans person. At the same time, on an individual level, like you said, Max, you know, if someone meets you, they might be less judgmental than you would expect. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I'm a little bit of an outlier in this. As you know, most of my life I've been an outlier, so I guess I'm still an outlier. But I actually believe I'll say something radical here. Uh, I actually believe we don't need a bill to be given permission to go to the bathroom. Uh, right. And I've been going to the bathroom my whole life, and uh, generally people just. You know, you just do it. And uh, unfortunately, this became a, a, a point of contention. And, uh, you know, you have people going both ways. I think the, originally the bill was to have people who were transgender go to the bat, be able to go to the bathroom. And then the people on the right reacted against that and said, we weren't, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't be allowed to go to the bathroom. So, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's cra pretty crazy, but I think it the less the laws, bathrooms have become such a flashpoint too. Like yeah, the less things. Yes. yes. <laughs> the less laws, the better, you know, and I also think mm. it's better if people fight it out on an individual, uh, in a local level. You know, if that hmm. was ever a point of contention, say when you were transitioning on the job, you talked to your boss, they wrote a letter to the people in the company, you know, you worked it out there, it didn't come from above and outside. I think when people feel forced, when they feel forced to accept X, Y, and Z, sometimes they're less open to that, if that makes hmm. any sense, you know. So I think it gets complicated in that way. Yes, there is backlash. If I'm not going to say there's not backlash. There's been some backlash, you know. Yeah. 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 I, talking about how these, how I'm thinking about these things and the conversations and the laws and the norms have unfolded and maybe in some cases reverted and then made progress again or the opposite. Sandy Stone, another protagonist, talks about growing into your identity with age and how that means different things for different people. Some people feel, you know, more solidified in their identities as they grow older and some people less so. They find new things about themselves. I'm just curious how both of you see your own identities and whether or not they're changing or stabilizing more with time. Oh, I think it's a lifelong process for me to you know different parts of your personality come forward or go away for example i'm less interested in sexuality since i'm older than i was when my hormones were raging there's different mm -hmm. uh, i believe that sandy is quite right there um it's a process and uh, it's an adventure and especially in sandy's case uh she is incredibly um, adventurous and young and um, still experimenting with different lifestyles. For example, she is almost now living like a matriarch of a big family. She used to live as a professor in yeah. Austin, Texas. Then she came back to um, Santa Cruz and has now is now surrounded by what she talks about in the film by her a core family, her nuclear family of 15 people. But when you take a closer look, there is ex-lovers of hers. And they most of them now have found a place near where she lives now in the new house or in the new house. Or someone lives in a tiny house on the premises. So Sandy is still um, trying out new things. So she might even move away there because the other day she was telling us, remember, Max, when we talked, 
after the the movie we saw the movie she said oh now she wants to have uh, another a second place where she can be just alone by herself and to escape the family so i think um yeah that's probably the the beauty of life that things do not stay the same that you have different wishes and desires as you grow older and that's for me a very important uh, essence of the film uh, that it's also about aging and changing so everybody pretty much has yeah. something to say and something to transmit about the feeling of well it's not maybe the prime time of your life anymore but there is other things coming or there's wisdom coming or there is really things you want to transmit to a younger generation so that that really excites me about um, uh, getting older, also transmitting to the younger generations. Yeah. Yeah, for my part, I'd say definitely I'm always changing. Yeah, I mean, Sandy is a great example of that. That uh, She's 80 years old in the movie. It's absolutely amazing. She's an older trans person, uh, very successful, and yes, very open to tr continuing transformation, as am I. I'm always questioning the things I believe and trying to challenge myself to look deeper, which is not always easy because sometimes that puts you in a position of being alone by yourself so uh you know in any case i'm always looking further trying to uh challenge myself i'm back in school i'm a college student again uh and i'm 64 so uh <laughs> you know and that's turning out to be quite uh quite stimulating lots of fun um and challenging uh simply because you know you actually i'm a better student than i was when i was younger actually I take it my grades more seriously. I didn't care then, but I'm always uh, looking further. I'm a you know I'm putting out my my poetry is finally getting out into the world. I had a book come out uh, again the uh, the criminal the invisibility of parallel forces put out by Eog Press in New York City. It's a trans uh, owned press, but the poetry actually has nothing to do with trans, mm -hmm. uh, unless I guess you could read that in. Um, somebody will. But in any case, that's my job. That's for the academics. Uh, that's for the, the uh, you know, that's people who analyze these things for the professors. But in any case, um, you know, that my book has come out. I've, I've got a backlog of poetry to put out. And I think we're all, all of us are always changing. It's not just trans people. Maybe trans people can teach the world how to be comfortable in transformation and in taking um, – I hate to say control of your life, but it's it's being able to sort of steer your ship, but you're also open, always open, because there's so many surprises along the way, uh, which is what I found out when I did transition. Um, mm -hmm. If you read the memoir, I wrote a memoir, The Testosterone Files, which uh, discusses, you know, talks about the testosterone, and which changed me because I didn't always sound like this. And... Uh, all along the way, there's so many discoveries and kind of scary things, too. So yeah. that's the fun of life. Well, there's so much more in the film that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but we are out of time. So I will just thank you both so much for making the time to talk with me about this. And, and Monica, thanks for your work. Uh, thank you very much, Laura, for having us. It was fun talking to you. I'm really enjoying myself. And um, 
great seeing you, Max. Yes, yes. That was Max Wolf, Valerio, and Monica Treut. Generation screens in person at the Roxy Theater as part of Frameline on June 20th. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is produced at KSFPLP 102.5 FM in San Francisco. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Our team includes producer and contributor Mel Baker and assistant producer Liana Wilcox. KSFP is a project of the San Francisco Public Press, a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Find our reporting at sfpublicpress.org.